Hello and welcome to German Grammar Pod. Today we've reached the dative case. One of the key things the dative case does is show the indirect object in a sentence. If you remember, so far we've had the nominative, which showed the person or thing doing the action. Then we had the accusative that showed the person or thing the action was being done to. What the dative shows is the person, and it usually is a person, or at the very least an animal, that is indirectly impacted by the action. That possibly sounds more convoluted than it needs to be. So I'm going to move straight on to the example I learnt the dative case with. That's the verb geben, to give. This verb is nice because it acts the same way in both English and German. It needs three nouns or pronouns with it. First of all, in English at least, where you don't get to rearrange your sentences as much as you do in German, you need a nominative, which is the person doing the giving. I'm going to pick he or er as it is in German, as it's a nice simple word and it has the double benefit of taking a different form in each of the cases, so you know which one you're in. Next, I need an item to be given. This is our direct object, an accusative. It's the answer to the what question. What does he give? And in my example, the answer is a book, ein Buch. So, where does the indirect object come in? It's the final bit I haven't told you about yet. It's who he gives the book to. In my example, to me which in German, in the dative, is mir. So my whole sentence in German is er gibt mir das Buch, or in English, he gives me the book. I could also have phrased my English sentence, he gives the book to me. The dative in German often covers a sense of to, for or from in English, like the to me in he gives the book to me. In fact, it not only covers it, in most cases it replaces it, and it's actually wrong to put it in. Er gibt das Buch zu mir doesn't work in German. You have to leave the zu out. There are a lot of other words that either can or must take a dative, some of which match the English pretty well. For instance, to lend, er leiht mir das Buch. To recommend, er empfiehlt mir das Buch. To pass, er reicht mir das Buch. To show, er zeigt mir das Buch. To send, er schickt mir das Buch. To sell. Er verkauft mir das Buch. To take. Er nimmt mir das Buch. That's, he takes the book from me, not to me in English. Just a word of warning though, the dative won't always be a person. Sometimes it can be a thing as well, for instance, he infers that from the book, er entnimmt es dem Buch, where book is in the dative. Another set of verbs that take the dative in German are verbs about speaking to or communicating with someone. So for instance, Ich erzähle ihm eine Geschichte. I tell him a story. Ich schreibe ihm einen Brief. I am writing him a letter. Ich befehle ihm etwas zu tun. I order him to do something. Ich sage ihm. I tell him. Incidentally, sagen can also be used with zu instead of just with the dative. But when it's used with zu, it means... Incidentally, sagen can also be used with zu instead of just with the dative, but when it's used with zu it means to say to rather than to tell, as it means when it's just followed by a dative. So, for instance, sie sagte zu ihm means she said to him, whereas sie sagte ihm means she told him. And it gets used in all the same places English uses say to or said to instead of tell or told. You may have noticed that the word for him that I used after zu was the same as the word for him in the dative. This is no coincidence. Zu is one of the prepositions that takes the dative. That means that whatever noun or pronoun or any accompanying adjectives come after zu, those take the dative. 
The other prepositions that are used either only or mainly with the dative are aus, which means out of or made of in English, depending on the context. Außer, which means except or except for. By, which doesn't translate simply into English, but is generally to do with location and can mean by or at or during or chez, like the French, chez moi. Dank, which means thanks to. Gegenüber, which means opposite. Mit, which means with. Nach, which means after or according to. Seit, which means since. And von, which means from. There are also a number of prepositions which can take either the accusative or the dative. The prepositions that can take either the accusative or the dative are an, which means on, as in on the side of. Auf, which means on, as in on top of. Entlang, which means along. Hinter, which means behind. In, which means in. Neben, which means next to. Über, which means over or above. Unter, which means under. Vor, which means in front of or before. And zwischen, which means between. As I said last time, the difference between whether these take the accusative or the dative depends on whether these are expressing motion or location. Or at least, that's the official way of putting it. I think it's easier to look at the difference as being whether a boundary has been crossed or not, with the crossing of the boundary indicating motion, and so taking the accusative, and staying within the boundary, indicating location, and so taking the dative. Here are a couple of examples to help you see what I mean. In English we could say, I went for a walk into town, meaning, I started outside town, crossed the boundary of the area I consider to be town, and ended up in town. Alternatively, we could say, I went for a walk in town, meaning I went for a walk in the place I consider to be town, I at no point left the place I consider to be town, and therefore did not cross any boundary. German would express these two sentences differently only by the use of case. The first sentence, where we cross the boundary and go from outside town to inside it, would use the accusative, so ich ging in die Stadt. The second sentence, where you at no point leave town but stay inside its boundaries, would be expressed using the dative ich ging in der Stadt. Another example that I think is easier to see if you use the concept of crossing a boundary rather than motion versus location is hanging a picture on the wall. If the picture is simply hanging on the wall, it doesn't leave the wall and therefore never crosses the boundary of wall versus not wall, we use the dative, so das Bild hängt an der Wand. On the other hand, if I want to express that I'm hanging the picture on the wall, here the picture has crossed the boundary from not being on the wall to being on the wall, so I would use the accusative and say ich hänge das Bild an die Wand. You may have noticed that in my accusative examples, both Stadt and Wand had D as the form of the the, meaning that these are feminine nouns. In the dative, though, they took der as the form of the, which is the dative feminine, but also precisely the same as the masculine nominative form. This, in fact, is almost the only confusing thing about the dative forms, which are largely distinct from the other cases. The masculine and neuter forms of the dative are the same as each other, which I've always thought made life easier, and have a big association with the letter M for Mike. So the masculine and neuter form of the is dame. The masculine and neuter form of a is einem. No is keinem, which is welchem, etc. Also, if you only have adjectives in front of a word and no determiner, the words like the, a, these, etc., then the adjectives end in em too. If you do have a determiner, then adjectives always end in an en, that's n for November this time instead of m for Mike, and this applies to the feminine and plural too. Feminine determiners, and adjectives too when no determiner is present, end in er, so the is der, a is einer, no is keiner, 
and so on. This R and M association is carried over into the personal pronouns, which are as follows in the dative. Mia, meaning me. Dear, meaning you, informal singular. Im, meaning him or it, and covering both masculine and neuter nouns. Ihr, meaning she or it, and covering just feminine nouns. Uns, meaning us. Euch, meaning you, informal plural. And Ihnen, meaning you, formal singular and plural, when it's written with a capital letter, and meaning they, when it's written with a lowercase i. The dative plural is all bound up with en for November. The dative plural for the is den, just like the masculine accusative singular. No is keinen, my is meinen, and such is solchen, all like the masculine accusative singular. Adjectives also end in en, whether or not a determiner is present, just like the masculine accusative. But it's easy to tell the dative plural apart from the masculine accusative as soon as you see the noun. Not only will the noun be in the plural, it will also have gained an n or an en on the end of it, if it didn't already have one. Unless the normal plural ended in an s, as that would be too difficult to pronounce. This is simply the impact that the dative has on plural nouns. The dative also used to put an e on the end of a lot of masculine and neuter nouns. But this practice has largely fallen out of use, and now you only see this in a few fixed expressions such as im das, meaning if, or to hause, meaning at home. I won't go into them all now, as they tend to be sufficiently common expressions that you do just find yourself picking it up once you know what to look out for. It's rather like the phrase, to whom it may concern, which is one of the few places left where almost all native English speakers would still use whom instead of who. Back to the use of the dative. I've still got a couple of points left that I need to go over. Firstly, there are exceptions to the motion versus location rule, such as when one of these prepositions is used in conjunction with verbs of arriving, appearing or disappearing, with which, despite the fact that in my view a boundary has been crossed, the dative is used. Specifically, the verbs where the prepositions take a dative where the motion location rule would lead you to expect an accusative are ankommen and eintreten, which both mean to arrive. Einkehren, which means to turn in or stop off somewhere. Landen, which means to land. Erscheinen, which means to appear. And verschwinden, which means to disappear. In fact, there are some verbs that can only take one sort of preposition. For instance, with warten auf, which means to wait for, auf has to be followed by the accusative. There are quite a lot of verbs along these lines, and according to Hammer, the ones with auf and an generally take the accusative. But there are exceptions. I've never successfully found a quick way of learning these, nor do I currently have a good reason to memorise them all, apart from Wadnalf, which I use frequently enough to have bothered learning, and which I know takes the accusative. But if anyone does have a good method for distinguishing between these, if you let me know, I'll put it on a later episode of German Grammar Pod. There are also a couple of more important places where the dative can be used. Firstly, it can be used to express a sense of for me or for you in a sentence. For instance, sie schrieb mir seine Adresse auf, meaning she wrote his address out for me. Secondly, German doesn't like using possessive pronouns such as my or your with body parts, so it sticks a dative personal pronoun in the sentence instead and uses a the with the body part when it wants to express ownership. So, I wash my hands comes out in German as ich wasche mir die Hände which literally means I wash me the hands and I've cut my finger is ich habe mir in den Finger geschnitten which literally means I have me in the finger cut. One final note on the dative. 
As I said last time, some verbs that you'd expect to take the accusative actually take the dative instead. Well, there's actually quite a lot of them, so I'm going to give you a list of the ones I think come up most frequently, starting with the ones I found myself using and hearing most often. So, here we go. Helfen, which means to help. For example, ich helfe dir. Folgen, which means to follow. For example, ich folge dir. Gehören, which means to belong to. For example, es gehört dir. Wehtun, which means to hurt. For example, es tut mir weh. Danken, which means to thank. For example, ich danke dir. Both trauen, which means to trust, and vertrauen, which means to trust in. For example, ich vertraue dir. Glauben, which means to believe. For example, ich glaube dir. Ähneln, which means to look like. For example, ich ähnle dir. Gratulieren, which means to congratulate. For example, ich gratuliere dir. Huh, somehow that came out more Italian than German, never mind. Passen, which means to suit or to fit. For example, es passt dir gut. Entfallen, which means to occur to someone. For example, es fällt mir ein. Nutzen, which means to be of use. For example, das nutzt mir nicht. And finally, schaden, which means to harm. For example, es schadet dir. Well, that's all from German Grammar Pod this time. Next time is the genitive, which is much easier than the dative. So the hard part's over now. So thanks for listening, and until next time, goodbye.